Oh, man. Welcome back, Ascension Podcast, episode number five. I'm Fred Cannon, director of Team Felton Basketball, owner and operator of Ascension Sports Consulting. Uh, back with you for another week of just discussions. Obviously, the hot topic still is the NCAA Academies. We'll touch base on that today. I wanted to do a player spotlight today and uh, just some overall thoughts and feedback on questions and comments I received since last week's episode. Uh, just starting off, I want to go ahead and start off with the player, player spotlight. And my player spotlight for this week is a kid named Bryce Thompson. He's out of Oklahoma. He's a 6'4 combo guard, uh, 2020. Uh, he has offers from, you know, notable offers from Michigan State, Carolina, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas. Uh, led the UA Association of Scoring. Lit it up us on us twice. Uh, we did a fairly decent job in the last game, but Bryce's ability to create an open look and hit contested shots uh, from mid-range and long-range is, is, is special. He can also finish around the rim. He can't get over the rim, but he specializes in using runners and fades and step-backs and creating space without wasting a lot of dribbles. Uh, when you first look at him, he look, appears to be kind of slight in frame, but just looking at his build, his shoulders, his wingspan, you can tell he's going to put on a lot of good college weight. I don't know if he's going to come in right away and just be like, man, who's that kid? But I think he's one of those kids like a Justin Jackson type kid where year one he does something, then year two is like a huge jump. I could see him being that type of kid. My player comparison for him, just somebody that I watched, you know, growing up was uh, Joe Forte. Both of them are similarly, similar in height. Joe was probably 6'3", 6'4", in that ball, you know, ballpark as well. But also the same thing, like Joe's ability to score the basketball with efficiency was not talked about enough. If, if the Internet was around back when Joe played at Carolina, like he would have had way more hype than, you know, than what he did. But that's who my player comparison is, 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 is Joe Forte for him. Uh, I, I always tease Bryce uh, when I see him and his dad about uh, <laughs> coming to move, go ahead and move to the hoop state. Uh, I definitely would love to see the kid come come play basketball here um, at Carolina and uh, do his thing. But all the options that he has are, you know, great options. It's always hard to leave your family, so I understand, like, if, if he chose Oklahoma, if he chose Kansas, somewhere in that ballpark, uh, he's going to do outstanding wherever he goes. But when you get a little time, take a chance, uh, Take a look at Bryce Thompson. He just lit it up at USA Basketball. He's currently ranked, I think, number 25 on ESPN. Uh, he lit up the Under Armour circuit. He lit up top 100. He's, he's done it every single place that he's been. I would anticipate him going to Steph Curry and doing the same thing. He did, you know, he did his thing down at the IMG uh, Under Armour camp. I just uh, think he's a special, special player, great kid, great family. Dad runs Oklahoma PWP on the Under Armour Association. They have top kids year in and year out on the boys and girls side. Uh, so big, big props to them. And uh, definitely go check out Bryce Thompson and let me know what you think in the comments. Uh, next up I want to touch base on is these, the NCAA academies. And I've been very vocal about the academies and, 
the, the cons of the camps. So I definitely want to make sure I still touch base on those now that we got more feedback from others, evaluators, parents that were in attendance, players in attendance, college coaches that were in attendance. So I definitely want to touch base on that. So to me, my, my biggest issue with this whole, with the NCAA academies, and not really with the academies, it's with the NCAA as a whole, was I really felt like the 2020 recruiting class was shorted majorly this year on their recruitment. And why I say that is they were already shorted a live period weekend in April because of how the calendar fell on Easter. So they got one event in April, and then you take away the second July event and replace it with an exploratory event with the NCAA academies. And what I mean by that, none of the coaches, college coaches, were really sure what to expect. A lot of the kids didn't know the process of signing up to be allowed to participate in the camps, so a lot of kids didn't even get to go to the camps. And a lot of the AAU coaches didn't know because the notifications were sent out to all the high school coaches on May 1st, and all the recommendations had to be in by May 5th. So I think if the NCAA was going to implement the academies, which is perfectly fine, I felt like since they were already shorting the kids one live period week, and really two by taking away the one in July, well, three, because you took away two weeks in July, I felt like that camp to work out the kinks should have been placed in June, possibly do one week of the high school events, the next week do the camp, and then allow the 2020 class to have two events in July. That way they work the kinks out on the high school, on the, uh, on the academies, the NCAA academies. And then going into 2021, if you still want to take that week away in July, that's fine because now you know how to run and operate the camps without it being at the kids' expense. So that's where I really have the biggest frustrations with. I think the academies are great. Obviously, I work with Under Armour, and I feel like the IMG camp is great. There's a lot of skill development, teaching the smaller things about the game, the IQ of the game. Like I think there's definitely a place for that. I just don't think it should be all – I don't think it should be in lieu of one of the live periods for the teams. And the reason why I say that is the NCAA – one of the cons of the NCAA academies is that the whole southeast region was dispersed to like three or four different locations. So now if you have a kid that's being recruited by Georgia Southern, UNCG, Florida Atlantic, Mercer, those schools, we had a kid, Nick McMullen, from Greensboro that was in Arizona. We had a kid that was in Connecticut. I know kids that was in Florida that went to Houston. I know some kids from Florida that went to Illinois, and I know some kids that went to Connecticut. When you send a kid from Greensboro to Arizona for an NCAA event, a school like Northern Arizona, Grand Canyon, those type of schools aren't going to recruit that kid when they see he has 20 offers from East Coast and Southeast schools. So essentially sending him out to Arizona does him no recruiting advantage because those schools will automatically say, well, we can't get this kid to come out here. Now, granted, if Arizona or UCLA sees him and likes him, that's one thing. But another mid to low major is not going to offer a kid from North Carolina or anywhere in the southeast, especially during the last live period, and try to get him on campus in August and September. It just didn't make any sense. So I felt like how the kids were dispersed to the different NCAA academies was a con. The college coaches, when I spoke to them, 
they didn't like that they didn't have the opportunity to see multiple kids in one venue. So if you're a low major or mid major school, depending on the budget, most of these schools don't have the finances to be able to go to Connecticut, Houston, you know, Illinois and Arizona to see one or two kids at each location. The preference for them was to go, whether it's Vegas or Orlando, one of the bigger tournaments that everybody's accustomed to going to, they could go and see 70, 80 prospects in one city and see them over the course of five or six days and not doing, you know, five-on-zero drills or more of a basketball practice, which is what the college coaches described to me that were in attendance. They felt like a lot of the time they had to evaluate the kids it was in non-competitive drill work. So they didn't like that because what people don't realize is in July, it's not more of an evaluation period. They're they making a decision on the recruitment. And when you can't see two kids go head-to-head, it, it makes that problematic because are you really good or are you playing against lesser competition? And the consensus has been that the, the talent pool at these camps was not very good. Uh, Jeff Goodman, if you check out his podcast, he has the VP of the NCAA who also said that the talent level was not great for any of the events. Jeff Goodman said that he saw one Division One recruitable player at one of the locations. So I think all of that can be addressed in future sessions. I just felt like my biggest complaint was don't use the 2020 kids as a guinea pig during the live period when it, it means so much to so many kids. And so many kids got excluded because nobody really knew the process, and then they were, you know, really strong about not letting kids after the fact. So I just really felt like that the recruitment of the 2020 class was handled poorly by the NCAA. That is my biggest gripe with the academy. The pros of the academies, if you've never been to the NBA Top 100 camp, it's a phenomenal camp, especially for information. So I think it's very dope that the kids got to bring a parent or somebody close to them to the event where they could get more information on the NCAA, the NBA, uh, Clearinghouse, all that stuff that is very important for parents to know. So when they go in to make decisions, they make sure they, they have all the information in front of them. I think that's a dope aspect to the academy. I like the fact that they're spending time to teach the kids the games and you get qualified people to work with these kids and kind of put them in a camp setting and kind of see what they can do to apply what they learned in the drills to the games later that day. I do think a con for it is the time management for the kids. My understanding is they basically had 12 to 14 hour days and uh, played two sets of games. I think either you trim the amount of time that the games were played so they can see have more games played but my understanding is they're following the NCAA guidelines of no more than two games a day per athlete, which is fine. But in a situation where it's an evaluation period, I don't know if those two games gives college coaches enough time to do a fair evaluation on these players. Um, I think that's the biggest con. And then the last is just making sure everybody's aware of the process to nominate and figuring out how to get more talent. Um, in the building for these events. My thoughts on all of this is that most kids, I've been around camps now for a long time between Adidas and Under Armour. First of all, kids go to camps for gear. If you're not handing out tons of gear, most of these top kids aren't coming. Because for the top kids, if you're a top really 50, 60 kid 
and is already in the late July, there isn't much more recruitment that those kids are going to get. They've already received top-notch offers, the whole nine yards. So for those kids, it's about having fun and finishing out with their teams, which is what we saw. A lot of the Adidas teams, a lot of the Nike teams, they still, and Under Armour, still went to Vegas to compete. And they didn't miss a beat because those kids are already being followed. They're already being recruited. Those coaches are already setting up dates and visits for those kids. So the only incentive for those kids would to come to those NBA camp, I mean the uh, NCAA combines, is to, you know, I got an opportunity to receive this type of gear or, you know, something exclusive to make those kids feel like I want to go attend it. Uh, I think that gear could be problematic because, say, you choose one shoe brand over the other. Now you run into the uh, place of well, that could be a comp, uh, conflict of interest. I think really the only way to my recommendation would be have Nike, Under Armour, and Adidas supply gear for if it's three days, then the kids wear Under Armour gear one day, Adidas one day. Nike one day. That way all the shoe companies are represented. I think that'll be a dope aspect for the players. They could get exclusive gear from all three brands. That's something that hasn't been done in any of the camps. And I think you have to put a, a location in the southeast. If you have Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, all the way to Virginia, and you're talking about having the ACC and SEC represented in, in those states. There's no reason for North Carolina, Georgia Tech, Clemson, South Carolina, Tennessee, none of those schools to host one of the regional camps. You're Even from a cost perspective, to get a kid from Florida, South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, Virginia, to Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia is going to be much cheaper than flying Nick McMullen from Greensboro to Arizona. It just doesn't make sense. It also keeps the recruitment localized or regionalized so that the schools that are following their kids can actually follow them. Uh, that, to me, would make the most sense. And then last but not least, the other thing they have to figure out is if I'm a low major or mid-major coach, I'm not, I'm not nominating the kid that I'm really trying to hide either. So I think some kids fell victim to, I don't want this kid to go perform in front of these other schools, so I'm not going to nominate them for the camp, and they weren't selected. So there's gamesmanship even on the college coaches' side that also has to be fixed. But with that, all that being said, I think the NBA, uh, NCAA academies will be good in the long run. I just think the timing of the camp needs to be changed to possibly June and replacing one week of the high school team camp. And I think giving one week back in July for college coaches to follow up on the kids that they see at the at the academies in July would be beneficial because they might see a kid that catches their eye in June, but now they haven't seen this kid before, so now they have to make a quick assessment. I think if they have one more week in July to check these kids out, that would be great. Uh, but that's kind of where I was at on the academies is, you know, increasing the talent, adding the southeast region, and changing the date to June, I think all those things would make the camps very beneficial. And uh, I look forward to kind of seeing what the growth is because it's not going any, it's not going anywhere anytime soon, especially with the NBA being a partner of the NCAA in these events. I really think uh, these will be around for the long term. It's just a matter of working the king side. I just didn't want it to be at the expense of the 2020 recruiting class. That's where my chip is, is, is still relies, but – 
we have to work toward, you know, forward. And uh, it's always going to be, you know, curveballs thrown at us as directors and coaches. But eventually we'll, you'll, you'll either adapt or you'll disappear. So for us, we have to figure out a way to still get our kids looked. And uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. But it's, it'll be interesting to follow up and continue to hear any dialogue on the NBA, uh, NCAA Academy. And the more I get, I'll definitely follow, you know, follow back on it uh, in the next episode as well, if anything new uh, breaks. Looking back on the travel season as a whole, I've been still seeing a lot of conversations about reclassing, uh, post-grad, transferring public to private, all those good things. I'm not going to touch base on it again because we've already addressed that in one of the episodes, but I just want to make sure that parents understand this. There's no right or wrong answer to any of those questions. The way you'll know if you made the best decision or not is if the goal you set forth is accomplished. So if you reclass your son or daughter and they go to college at the level that you wanted them to, then you, it was a success for your child. It doesn't matter what anybody else outside of your household thinks about you reclassing your kid, postgrading your kid, playing them at 15, playing them at 17. It doesn't matter. The whole thing is, if it doesn't work out even the way those naysayers are saying it, they're not going to pay for your son or daughter to go to school. So stop giving that type of feedback so much energy. I see a lot of parents going back and forth. No one is going to admit whether it's right or wrong. But if you look at trends, if I if you took the state of North Carolina and said, look at all the kids who reclassed and went to college, and we'll just say a high major. We'll just reclass and went high major as opposed to kids who stayed in public school and went high major. I'm sure there's more that's reclass that's done, you know, been able to go high major. Now, was it because of reclass? All those questions, we don't know. So until it can become factualized, right now is a risk that a parent or a kid has to take, and then you deal with the results. So I don't want parents or kids feeling like a decision was right or wrong if you reach your desired outcome, then you made the right decision for your son or daughter, period. Don't let anybody else discourage you from making decisions from your son or daughter uh, because a lot of times the people giving the opinions either haven't dealt with kids who went through that process or didn't play sports at all or not familiar with grassroots or the recruitment process. So all they know is that you're holding your son or daughter back, and that's the part they don't understand, but... They don't realize a lot of their favorite athletes that they cheer for, either post-grad or reclass, has some type of manipulation to the school process to hopefully give them a, an advantage. Most people don't realize that. The whole key is at the end of the day, your son or daughter goes to college for free, and at the end of the day, if their goal is to play professionally in some form or fashion, if those things are accomplished, then your reclass was a success. If you reclass and your kid does not go to college, Yes, that would be a failure. If their grades are still bad and the whole nine yards, if your kid reclasses, the grades are good and they still go to college, it's still a win-win situation. The whole key is can they reach the next level in the academics, next level in in their athletic career. Other than that, don't put energy into somebody else's opinion that's not experiencing what you're experiencing or know the goals of your son or daughter. Don't waste the energy. Don't do it on social media. Because, you know, people always say when you're looking from the outside, you can't tell who's who. So don't get caught up in he say, she say. 
make a plan for your son or daughter and just follow through on it. And, uh, you know, usually it works out for the betterment of, you know, your child. I've had several kids in our program that were reclass kids. I don't advise one way or the other. Uh, if college coaches tell me, Fred, that this kid moves from one class to the other, I'll share the information with my parents. But I'm never going to tell a kid to, to reclass or not reclass because it's not my kid. Uh, I have no place in telling somebody what to do with their son or daughter. Uh, my job is to give my best advice, uh, give both the pros and cons. And at that point, mom and dad, and and the athlete have to make the decision because it affects their lives. It doesn't affect mine. So just make sure that you do your research on those topics and everything will take care of itself. Looking at the kids' offers and stuff across the state, I still believe North Carolina is definitely the hoop state for a reason. Uh, It makes me happy to see offers pop up on the timeline, especially for kids. I really have an appreciation for kids. Uh, like in the meal flowers that wasn't a hyped kid, but you still on the back end, you know, are able to cross that finish line of, you know, obtain a scholarship offer. Davion McClain, another kid that's really been grinding and grinding at it and to finally see him uh, grab, I think he grabbed three Division One offers in like a span of a day or day and a half. And uh, he's also an ascension consultant client, but, He's, he's definitely worked hard. I followed Xavion a long time, uh, especially over at Village Christian. Like, he's, he's a stud of a basketball player. It just doesn't get the appreciation. That happens sometimes. We had a kid, Cam Langley, that was the same way. But sometimes you just have to put your head down and keep grinding, and it's good to see kids like those two rewarded. Amongst the many other kids that uh, received offers this year, even with a, I felt like a bad hand was dealt to the 2020 class, I think North Carolina showed out again, and uh, it, it makes you proud to make you know know that you're part of that basketball family. I think a lot of new, well, I ain't gonna say newer programs, but I think a lot of programs end up getting publicity this year. Uh, I think that's always cool, and uh, some new kids got a platform. That's always a good thing too. I just want to say, like, I know travel ball is is winding down. Parents of kids that are going through recruitment and setting these officials, you get five for this senior year. Make sure that you use them wisely and uh, make sure that it's more than just vacation. Uh, I can tell you this will be the last time that the coach will bend over backwards for any of these kids. Understand that when they get on campus, even in the preseason workout, it's going to be hard. When season starts, it's going to be harder. And once you hit January or February, it's going to be the hardest thing that your son or daughter has ever dealt with. So make sure they're somewhere that when it gets hard, they can still make it through. Uh, Don't go to a location where you hate everything about the location of the school. You don't really like the, the facilities, none of that stuff. Because when it gets hard, you need to be able to have a situation where you don't mind fighting through it. I think that's a large reason for the transfers is the expectations are warped. Uh, because in high school and in travel ball now, everybody faced the risk of if you coach a kid too hard, he can just move to a different program. He can move to a different high school. So, yeah, kids get coached hard, but I think it's tempered to the point where kids and parents get a false sense of reality of what they're going to face if they, you know, go to college. 
those college coaches' jobs on the line, their families, you know, situations on the line, they're not going to treat you the same way as your volunteer AAU coach or your high school coach that makes, you know, three, four $4,000 a year coaching. It's different when you're getting paid $10 million a year, $8 million a year, $4 million a year, and you expect to win 20 games. And you have to hear on social media, TV, that you can't coach, we want to fire you. Those coaches aren't playing around your son or daughter. They expect them to come in and do their job, and that's the expectation. So make sure that you talk to your athlete. Let them know to enjoy these uh, official visits. If you can, go watch some practice unofficially, and just make sure that you really like the vibe of the the culture at the school that you choose. I'm excited to see where everybody ends up, and I think think the process will be vastly different this year. I think this 2020 class, if the transfers go up, they go up even more than what they were, then I think you'll definitely see some movement on adding a second live period to July for the grassroots teams. Uh, because I think the biggest reason for an increase in the transfers would be just a lack of evaluation, uh, proper evaluation. So uh, that's really all I got on my plate for the day. I just really wanted to get those things off my chest and just touch touch base on those things. And like I said, shout out to Bryce Thompson again. He's had a great career with Oklahoma PWT. Make sure you go check him out. And if you got feedback again about the, the NCAA academies or if you got questions about your recruitment coming up in September when the college coaches can come back out, feel free to, to inbox me at Team Felton Basketball on Instagram, Team Felton B-Ball on Twitter or Coach uh, Cannon, Coach underscore Cannon TF on Instagram or Frederick Cannon on Facebook or Frederick Cannon on Twitter. Inbox me, tweet me, you know, you got some cool articles, good information on kids, anything that can help the grassroots situation, tag me in it. I'll definitely make sure to put it out. If there's a kid that you feel like is worthy of a spotlight, you know, give me that info as well. We're all here to provide a platform to uh, help these kids get their name out there. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you all again um, on Episode 6. In that time period, I will be visiting uh, Wisconsin University. I will be uh, visiting at Providence during that time period and a possibility of going to Pittsburgh, NC State, and UNC during that time period. So I will talk about those visits and kind of what I see about those campuses and all that good stuff on Episode 6. I wish all the kids a good recovery period, get those bodies right, get some rest, kiss your moms, go on vacation, hang with your friends for a little bit, and be ready for another school year. I look forward to speaking with you all on Episode 6 next week. And until then, keep ascending.